I'm not here to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. It's been run cleaner than any baseball business that was ever put out in the hundred years at the present time. Sell the team. Oh, yeah. Hour two of the radio program. This is the Passball Show. John Pielli here, your host. Don't forget to tweet at me at John underscore Pielli. The program is brought to you by JohnPielli.com as well as MTRRadio.com. Before we get into a couple topics I want to talk about, I'm going to play an interview I recorded with former Major League pitcher Tippy Martinez. And Tippy came up with the New York Yankees organization. He was actually signed as an amateur free agent in 1972. Pitched a couple of years in the big leagues there before he was traded in a big deal that ended up involving guys like Scott McGregor and Rick Dempsey, uh, sending him over to the Baltimore Orioles where he became a pretty good pitcher. In that same trade, uh, Doyle Alexander, Elrod Hendricks, Ken Holzman, Grant Jackson, all, all ended up going to the Yankees. And of course, both of those teams had success. The Yankees, of course, winning the World Series in 77 and 78. And then the Orioles making it to the World Series in 79. Of course, winning it all in 1983. And Tippy, you know, was a very good relief pitcher. A lefty specialist probably wouldn't be the term that you would use to describe him. A guy that went in there, got obviously pitched more than one inning most of the time, was not that typical loogie that you see nowadays. And even in his last couple seasons, in 84 and 85 with the Orioles, he had way more innings pitched than games pitched. And uh, funny thing, he ends up uh, being part of a campaign, and of course this was something that was brought upon him uh, by the Baltimore Orioles, and they had a section called Tippy's Tweeters. And, you know, we think of the word tweet right now, and of course Twitter and tweeting, and, you know, it's something that's uh, become very dominant over the last five plus years, but obviously didn't exist in the early part of the 1980s. So, you know, Tippy's Tweeters was uh, something that had nothing to do with what we now term as tweeting, but was something that uh, certainly was well before its time. But Tippy in his career got into 546 games, just two as a starter. And that was his first real full season in 1975 with the Yankees. Uh, He won 55 games. He had 115 saves, 632 strikeouts, and 834 innings pitched. And it's really good catching up with Tippy. Hopefully you guys enjoy this spot with the 14-year Major League veteran and former Orioles left-hand pitcher, Tippy Martinez. I'm happy to be joined by former Major League pitcher for the Baltimore Orioles, Tippy Martinez. Tippy, I appreciate you having a couple minutes. Okay, no problem. Hey, Tippy, man, as far back as you can go, what um, what got you into baseball, and what is your earliest memory uh, involved in the game of baseball? Uh, well, what got me into baseball, of course, as a young kid, uh, being brought up in a small town in La Junta, uh, Colorado, in a small town, and, you know, when you're in a small town, uh, baseball or any sport is really is what the town is all about. They... They support all the different sports and stuff, and then I just happened to fall into, into baseball. You know, I played all three sports, but baseball was my main uh, avenue because, you know, I'm not I'm not 6'3 or 6'4. You know, I'd say I'm 5'10, but really I'm like maybe 5'9 and a half. So uh, I figured if I was going to do anything, baseball would probably be the sport. And uh, one thing led to another from a scholarship, a scholarship uh, uh, at Colorado State, and then from there is just hoping to get drafted and have the opportunity to play. And uh, that definitely happened, and, uh, and then some doors opened up. And I had good years, and, you know, one thing led to another. 
So the other part of the question, I think you're saying as far as my baseball memory, as far as within uh, within my career, so what you're talking about now? Yeah. Uh, well, I think it's interesting. It's um, no more uh, here in Baltimore or anywhere I go is, uh, I like to think I had a better career than that, but uh, I'm more known as far as with three pickoffs in the same inning. Yeah, of course. Uh, Toronto Blue Jays, yeah. So, uh, uh, that's what I'm known for. Well, actually, just to you know, to keep from jumping around, let's uh, you know, we want to ask you a little bit about that because you know, it was a game in 1983. You entered the game, if I'm not mistaken, with with a guy on base, and uh, you know, kind of a you know, strange circumstances because you know the the bench had been used differently, so players were playing out of position. Uh, was was, it, was that uh, your intention to maybe help things out with players being out of position to just go and I hopefully you could pick off a guy or two? No, I, I think it just kind of, you know, fell in, you know, uh, you know, it was a seesaw battle with Toronto. We were going back and forth and taking the lead, and we were fighting for a division uh, against Toronto, and uh, going back and forth and taking the lead and losing the lead and taking the lead losing the lead. Uh, and I'm glad you did your homework because a lot of people didn't know that. Uh, when I came in the game, there was a man on first base already, uh, you know, as far as my defense, I had John Lonestein, who had probably reigned of a dime at second base. <laughs> He's never played second base. And uh, Gary Renneke playing third base, who volunteered at the death position. And then, of course, Lynn Sakai, who who's probably never caught in his life, if anything, maybe amateur ball, uh, volunteered to catch. And uh, when I came in the game, and we were losing by one run with one man on base, and... Um, it really was nothing to make probably to keep me on base. It just a matter of trying to stay in the game. Um, but anyway, of course, Sakata wanted to throw people out, and I was just hoping I told him. Uh, I, I, I'm just hoping he can catch a fastball because they can't throw any curveballs. Uh, you know, because, you know, I didn't think he could catch a curveball, so I had to throw all the fastballs when he had a part of the plate. Uh, there was an infield hit after that after I picked out the first guy. Uh, there was an infield hit to John Lowenstein. And I picked that guy off, and then the last guy was, uh, I picked him off and, uh, after I walked him. And uh, one thing led to another, of course, to cap it off of the catcher was Sakata, who was catching, uh, he had a two-run homer and we won the game. Yeah, I tell you, you know, and I'm sure I'm sure you've seen the movie. But when I when I think about the the, the occurrences of that game, I think of uh, rookie of the year when the kid, you know, when a kid loses his fastball and he like he starts he starts intentionally walking the guys and then he tries these like these trick plays to keep from having to face like the 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 real batters. Obviously, it's a different situation. Um, you know, you're just trying to win a ball game any way you can. But it's it, you know it's funny the way the way that turned out. And of course, Sakata ends up. You know, being a hero, hitting a hitting a home run, and I think if I'm not mistaken, he said later on he just he didn't want to go out there. <laughs> he, he was he was hoping he didn't have to go out there and catch, so he's hoping to win the game right there. Oh yeah, yeah. There's no question about that as far as with that. He, not only as far as winning, I wanted to go back out there. Is, uh, you know, even as far as we tied the game, uh, if we did, uh, I would not want to go back out there as well because of my defense that I hadn't. You know, every every player who's got any kind of instinct as far as winning or losing, uh, nobody likes to lose, and I was sure one of those people as far as uh, the kind of defense that I had, uh, it was not looking good. So it turned out fantastic, you know, as far as with that, 
you know, during those parties with those pickoffs, I was trying to think of every, you know, we practiced that every day in spring training uh, with different moves and stuff like that. And, you know, things, you know, the things just kind of, you know, fell in place. And, of course, as far as Sakata catching and then the runners wanting to run off Sakata, uh, I knew that. So just a matter of, you know, picking the right time is when to go over and uh, presenting the best move that I had. So, uh, you know, things kind of, you know, lend hand in hand. It kind of went went together, so it just fell into place. Now, once again, John Fialli here with former Major League pitcher Tippy Martinez. Now, let's go back a little bit, because, you know, you ended up uh, being drafted by the, uh, if I'm not mistaken, the Washington Senators. You didn't, you didn't sign, and then you ended up starting your uh, baseball career with the Yankees. Take us back to the, uh, you know, to the late 60s and the early part of the 70s, talking about um, your development and how, how how you learned in the minor leagues and eventually what led to your major league debut. Well, anyway, the funny thing is, uh, going into from high school, uh, going into college, of course, I did get drafted out of high school with the Washington Senators. Uh, they didn't offer very much uh, money, so I had an opportunity to go to excuse me, Colorado State University on a full ride. And uh, my junior year, I've had my, my best year of my junior year. I was ranked second in the nation in college pitching uh, that year. And uh, was, I can remember always asking my coach, you know, where are, you know, where are all the scouts at, you know? And, uh, you know, he gave me the, uh, you know, as far as, uh, you know, he just mentioned, well, the reason why is that they're not here is because they'll probably be drafted in the first round. Uh, especially being ranked second in the nation. And well, it, made, it made sense to me. Uh, it's the reason why they weren't there. But uh, later I found out, uh, because Eddie Bain was out of Arizona State, was ranked number one. And he was smaller than I was. And I found out that after the draft list came out that year, uh, I didn't get drafted because they thought I was too small and I wouldn't last. Uh, well, Eddie, like I said, Eddie Bain was drafted in the first round uh, out of Arizona State, and he was smaller, and I can remember he got drafted by the Twins, and uh, ever since I made the big legs, I was looking for him, but they said he never made it, so um, anyway, it gives you more of a drive, but uh, leading up to that, uh, uh, when I didn't get drafted, I, I decided that I was going to quit baseball. And just go ahead and go to work and go into teaching because that was my degree in, in physical education. Uh, I got a call from a gentleman out of Grand Junction who was going to to Alaska to play baseball in Alaska uh, for a tournament out there, and he asked me if I wanted to play. And I said, "Now I was thinking about quitting." And he said, "No." I said, "I heard a lot about you." He says, "I think you should give it another shot." And uh, so I went with him, and I pitched very well in in, in Alaska, and threw a couple of uh, one and two hitters there, and he decided to sign with the Yankees. Um, of course, though, the day before I was signed, I pitched in Grand Junction the day, the day they announced that I was signing with the Yankees, and I got crushed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, can, I can remember uh, Sam Saplesia, who was my coach, uh, who was a scout for the Yankees, told me, so I, I asked him, I said, do you still want to sign me? He says, absolutely. I says, are you kidding me? He says, you'll learn that as you go through in your development that you're going to have good days and bad days, but I, I, I know you're going to have a lot more good days than you are bad, so that's what it's all about, uh, not only the physical part of it, but also mentally you got to, you got to learn that these things are going to happen. So I, you know, I took that in consideration and uh, I went to Oneonta, New York, and uh, I threw 
a one or two hitter, I believe, my first game in Oneonta. Um, actually, it was on the road. Uh, and uh, I can remember a guy by the name of, I think his last name was George Casey. I think that's, I think that's the right name. Uh, was well known, I guess, Yankee um, uh, player at one time. He was my manager when I threw my one or two hitter. Uh, we, we, we were playing a double hitter, and it was a seven inning game, and uh, nobody could hit me. And then the first two guys got in, and the last inning came out to me, and he said, What are you doing? I said, Well, I says, I'm just I'm pitching. You know? I said, what, what do you want me to say? He says, Well, do you realize? He says, I want you to buckle down here. He says, you're throwing a shutout now. You were throwing a no hitter at the time, and and, uh, and he says you need to you need to start buckling down. And uh, he made me realize that he said I'm, I'm paying you to do this now. I says you're no longer as far as you know as far as you know. It was trying to teach me as far as to to I guess as far as maybe when you put the nail in the coffin, so to speak, is once you have somebody uh, sleeping, so to speak, go ahead and finish it up. So. Uh, I did, and I finished it up, and, and ended up with a shutout. And uh, from there, I got uh, I got sent to the Carolina League, and of course, I had signed late because you know I didn't get drafted that summer. So uh, I went to the Carolina League and finished up there, and didn't pitch very well. But uh, in the following year, I went to the Carolina League again, and uh, they had me as a reliever, not as a starter this time, and. Um, uh, I think I had just about close to two strikeouts per inning. Uh, had a lot of wins and saves, and uh, from there I went to Triple A, and then from Triple A to to the big league. So uh, I had about maybe two years in the minor league, so I was pretty fortunate. Now, Tippy, were you were you able to make the adjustment initially when you went from being a starting pitcher to a reliever? Because you know you hear stories all the time about pitchers, really, no matter. Uh, where where you where you came from, where you played baseball, they're always used to being a starting pitcher, and you know relievers, you know sometimes take a little while to learn to learn how to let's say pitch out of the stretch, um, come in to a game with guys on base, different type of situations that you may not see as a starting pitcher. No, I think probably in those days, if anything, is uh, it was really for me the reason why I went from a. Uh, uh, from a starter to a reliever, just simply because of numbers. Uh, there were more higher draft picks than I was, but they wanted me to make the team, uh, so they had me as a reliever. And uh, of course, the Yankees have always had like short relievers, they uh, closers, or anything of that nature. So uh, I became that, and um, I can remember as far as um, uh, they decided instead of me being a reliever through I was in Triple A. Uh, instead of being a reliever, they wanted me to start uh, in an international league, which uh, actually which was in Syracuse. Uh, they wanted me to start, so I started, and I would lead the league in wins in the international league and, and strikeouts uh, in the international league as a starter. But then uh, they decided to, that uh, when I got called up to be a reliever again, because Sparky Lyle was was not having a great year that he normally has. Uh, they wanted me to be a reliever again, a uh, short reliever. So uh, I went in the big leagues as far as with that as being, uh, if you so-called a closer, because Sparky was still there. Um, but they kind of groomed me a little bit there. And then uh, uh, that was under Bill Verdon, who was the manager. Then he got fired. 
and then uh, Billy Martin came into play, and, and Billy uh, came to me and said, uh, uh, Tip, I want you to do, you know, Sparky's going to be my man, my closer and stuff, and uh, I'll use you whenever I can, but Sparky's going to be my closer. He was more of a veteran player, player's coach rather than a rookie. So, uh, yeah, I had no problem with that because I wanted to be in the big leagues. So I said, anything I, that, I, that I can possibly be to help the ball club, that's what I want to do. So I'll do anything she told me to do. So it worked out hand in hand. So, uh, But the transition from, you know, being a starter to reliever, from reliever back to a starter was, uh, I think I've always had the potential to be a good starter at the time, but, it, you know, as far as throwing between innings or in between uh, starts, uh, because I threw a lot of breaking balls and spotted my fastball, so that rest as far as when they had, uh, you had to throw in, the, in between starts as far as with that to get ready for your next start, uh, I probably didn't throw as much as what other people did in order for strengthening because I needed that, 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 uh, that rest in order to recover for my next start. So, uh, yeah, everybody's different. You know, not everybody works the same. And I think, I think nowadays, as far as with that, I'm not, I'm not sure if they really pay attention to that is because everybody is so different in, in today's game that uh, everybody follows the same routine. And I'm not quite so, I'm not really sold on that, I think, because everybody's got a different, uh, you know, as far as recovery time. You know, not yeah, everybody course. can do the same. So, uh, so that's, you know, that, that's my analogy as far as I'm starting mm-hmm. to relate and, and whatever, so. Now, let's, let's be honest. I mean, it's something that ended up working out for you. And, of course, you know, in the 1976 season, you end up going over to the Orioles in that uh, nine-player trade with the Yankees. Um, did you feel comfortable initially once you came to Baltimore? Because, obviously, you know, looking back on it, the story says that, you know, uh, pitching in Baltimore was a great experience for you. But did you uh, were you able to adjust to the different surroundings pretty easily after you traded in 1976? Yeah, I, I think I was as far as that aspect. Um, of course, uh, Rick Dempsey was my roommate, and of course he had been traded from the Twins to the Yankees, so he already, he already experienced that, but he took it a little bit harder than I did. And for him being a, if he's a so-called veteran, I guess you might say, that uh, he would think that it was, uh, he would have taken care of me and tried to make me understand that, hey, the reason why people get traded is because another team wants you a lot more and they need you for a certain uh, aspect of the game, and they need you. So, uh, but I, I more or less kind of took the role that he should have took the role, you know, as far as helping me going through this process. Uh, but you know, I felt comfortable with it. Um, you know, I knew that I had an opportunity with the Yankees that eventually, you know, things would open up. But uh, you know, Ricky even had more of an opportunity uh, to, to play every day uh, with the Orioles because he was the, you know, he was behind Thurman Munson, and nobody was going to take his spot. So. Uh, it was good for everybody, you know. Uh, uh, when I got when we got traded to the Orioles, uh, I went into the office of Earl Weaver, and Earl asked me if I wanted to start, and I said no, I don't want to start. And I said I don't want to I want to relieve you the short reliever for the club, and I thought I had I could have more chances of trying to save games rather than just going every fifth day. So I did have the opportunity to start at that time, but I chose to to relieve, and but I didn't know. The fact that um, um, the Orioles organization, they, they specialize in pitching and defense, and most of their starters go, you know, go, go the distance. Uh, so really, the opportunity for a reliever to compile saves or anything of that nature were very minimal. And I didn't know that, so 
Um, so, I mean, I'm probably going to have more chances as far as saving games somewhere else, but, you know, with the Orioles, they definitely had pitching, so uh, it was pretty tough to get in the games at times. Yeah, of course, and you look back at it, to the pitchers, you know, that, that you had a chance to pitch with. I mean, there were, you know, of course, the Jim Palmers, the Scott McGregors, you know, Dennis Martinez, guys that, you know, you know we're going to go deep in the game, but, uh, you know, the role that you were able to hold ends, ends up working out. It culminates, of course, in the 1979 season. You get a chance to uh, win the division, make it to the postseason, and, of course, the World Series against the Pittsburgh Pirates. Uh, tell us a little bit about your, your best memory of what you thought of, about the 1979 season and the way it unfolded. Well, I mean, as far as with that, it's, um, I mean, obviously when you get the chance to go to the World Series, it's, you know, there's very few uh, players that um, that are able to, at least in terms of their career, be able to uh, experience that. And, and I experienced it twice in 79 and 83. Uh, but, of course, in 79, we, we only had one more game to win. Uh, to win the, the World Series against the Pirates, and uh, we had our ace going to win the last game, and of course Pittsburgh won three in a row uh, against us, and we just had to win one more. So um, we knew, as far as the ball club and the nucleus of the ball club, that we had a great ball club, and losing the way we did, uh, going that far, uh, obviously, you know, to get there was a great experience in '79, but. We wanted to win it all, and I think we took it for, for granted that, uh, you know, you can't let your guard down at any time, and I think we, we had our guard down to, to some degree, and we thought it was going to fall under our lap, I guess, at, at times, but you, you learn, and we knew that we could probably get there again, and, and once we had that opportunity in 83, uh, you know, we were just not going to let it go. We were going to fight until, until it was all over, until that last out was out. So, you know... Um, you know, our guard was definitely not down. Of course, we lost the first game in '83 on the first game uh, in the World Series in '83, and uh, we just knew that you know if we just dump plugging along, that we you know we could do something, and we did. So uh, you know, we learned that from '79. So yeah, so you yeah, so you think Tippy that the experience in 1979 kind of put you you guys or the team or the holdovers from the '79 team in a better position mentally to make sure that, all right, if you're in a position like that, you're going to make sure you close it out this time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we, we had a great bunch of guys. And, you know, our, our main thing, if anything, is, and I don't know really if it is today the way the players have fun or if they do or they don't. And uh, sometimes I see glimpses of that, how players have fun, you know, as far as within the game. And, of course, you always have jokesters and stuff. There's always jokesters on the, on the team or kidders on the team. And, uh, try to widen the ball club up as you're playing. Uh, still on keeping perspective that, you know, that uh, given 110% while the game is going on, uh, but still you have to, you know, have some kind of level of reality that this is just a game, but uh, uh, but within that game you're you're still given 110%, but you have to have fun in this game. You can't, you can't go out there tight. If you're tight and you, you do have the ability and, but it's the mental part of it. It's the part of the game that gets a lot of people, and the preparation mentally is, uh, you know, can be wearing. And if you don't have any kind of fun in this game, it, uh, it can 
of course. Once again, John Pielli here with Tippy Martinez. Now, uh, what, what do you remember about the, uh, the quote-unquote, the grassroots campaign, the Tippy's tweeters, uh, the, you know, the, the little fan club that you seem to have at the stadium of uh, people kind of ch chanting out to you? Uh, but, you know, of course, I'm sure you remember that, but, you know, what, what, what are your best recollections of the Tippy's tweeters? Well, you have done your homework, haven't you? I try, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it, that kind of came, you know, as uh, I had a gentleman that approached me as far as he said, you know, we need to have a club for you as far as coming out of the bullpen because, uh, you know, they expect you when you come out and uh, you're a fan favorite here as well, and, you know, I want to do something for you. And I said, I don't need anybody to do anything for me. All I want to do is just play and, and, and pitch. He said, I'm going to have a fan club for you called the Tippy Sweeters, and we'll all have whistles. And I don't know if he got that from, uh, from one idea of why he got that, but he just wanted to have a fan club. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm pretty low-key, if anything, you know, yeah. uh, if anything. I'm low-key. I don't, I don't like that kind of stuff. And, and I said, well, you know, uh, he said, well, if you want to do it, you do it. I don't want to, I don't want to be, you know, making appearances and all that kind of stuff for this. And, uh, uh, sort of just had these tweeters and the stats and stuff, but it was kind of to me, if anything, I was, I was more embarrassed of the thing, to be honest with you. And then before you knew it, I took a kind of a liking to it, but, uh, I didn't want to be singled out, put it that way. Yeah, I'm just one of the guys and, Hopefully, I can be uh, making some kind of contribution with the ball, with the win again. Yeah, of course, and it ends up working out. I mean, I'm sure you know the the days since you you've, you've been done playing. I'm sure you're you're always very well beloved in Baltimore. Uh, I'm sure you get a you know a similar response. You know, every time you make an appearance out there, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, even as far as when I was with the Yankees as well. It's, um, you know, the Yankees. Uh, it took a while, even as far as when I made that transition from the Yankees to the Orioles every time we went to New York, a lot of people, you know, still, you know, hollered for me as far as in, uh, rooting for me. And until I started beating the Yankees a little bit more than, than they wanted me to, uh, and then, then I started getting the booze. So, uh, but, you know, things went in hand in hand. And, uh, 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 I guess, you know, as chips fall, as, you know, as you play this game and, uh, you know, he just tried to be, um, uh, I don't know if the right word is cordial as far as respecting, having respect of the game and just playing the game with the way it's supposed to be played and uh, things just kind of go hand in hand. People like you and some like you and some don't. So, um, but, you know, it's, uh, it, you're just there to do a job and the way things fall into play in your career, it's the way it happens. So. Yeah, of course. So, listen, Tippy, I want to thank you for having some time. A lot of great stuff there. I appreciate you giving me a, a little time and best of luck to you in the future. Yeah, you know, I, I, I thing as far as with you writing this thing as far as with that, uh, I don't know, did you ever read the Thurman Munson's book? The, uh, the latest one? You know what? I haven't read the entire thing. I've read enough excerpts that I could talk about it a little bit, but I, 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 it's one of the books that I want to read cover to cover. I just haven't had a chance to yet. Yeah, it's by Marty Appel. Um, yeah, Marty, Marty Appel, by the way, is a fantastic guy. Oh, he's great. He's just fantastic. Actually, I wanted to tell him a Carver show. Uh, he wanted me to go on that way before he, he uh, well, actually, the, the book was out already, but we talked about the book, and it's pretty interesting you to read that. Uh, uh, it's something that I hear, uh, have dear to my heart as far as with it when I was in the Yankees, and I learned so much from 
from Thurman that, uh, you know, things that were instilled as a ball player that he was teaching me. Uh, it's pretty interesting. You have to read that. I he's got some, I get some quotes in there as far as uh, the way things happen and unfolded when I was in the Yankees. Great catching up there with Tippy Martinez and obviously a guy who had a very long, successful career as a lefty reliever and you hear him talking at the end about him being featured in the book about Thurman Munson and, of course, his experiences that he had in some of those mid-'70 teams with the New York Yankees and all the guys that they had there. And, of course, he ends up having a pretty good pitching career in his own right with the Baltimore Orioles. And, uh, listen, Tippy was was one of the better left-hand relievers in the 80s. And we're talking about a time that, like I started to talk about before we introduced Tippy and we, we started playing the interview, the fact that, Lefty relievers, you know, you look at Tippy Martinez, you look at Sparky Lyle, you look at the, the dominant left-hand relievers then, and you would never consider bringing them in just to face one batter. You know, they came in there, if they came in in the sixth and seventh inning, they may not have pitched all the way through the ninth, but they were going to go an inning or two. Like one, They're going to see the batting order maybe once, and that's a big difference in what you see now. And Everybody that happens to throw for the left-hand side that happens to be in a major league bullpen goes in there and whatever manager it is, they pick them out uh, against a lefty like a Ryan Howard or a Curtis Granderson or a Jacoby Ellsbury or a Poppy Ortiz, whoever it is, and they expect that left-hand pitcher to face that one left-handed batter only. And in some cases, it works. Some of the best left-hand pitchers in the game as among, amongst relievers have done that role very well for very year, for very many years. A guy like Pedro Feliciano, of course, comes to mind. And some of the older guys like the Rick Honeycuts and the Jesse Orozco's and the Arthur Rhodes, guys who were able to do it for a, a, a serious amount of years. But, you know, it, it, it's great to go back to the 80s and the 70s and remember when a guy that happened to throw from the left-hand side didn't mean that they were only going to be facing one batter. And Tippy Martinez is the prime example of that. Once again, John Pielli, Pass Ball Show right here on the MTR Radio Network. We're going to take a little bit of a break. On the other side of the break, I'm going to be joined by former Major League outfielder Matt Mieske, who played many years in a Milwaukee Brewers organization and played for teams later on like the Diamondbacks and the Astros. So I'll take a quick break, and we'll be right back after this. I always wanted to work in sports, kind of got sidetracked in college, then ended up in a job and and realized I wasn't happy doing what I was doing. Researched CSB and ended up making, you know, one of the better decisions in my life. Want to be part of the exciting world of sports broadcasting? You've got to check out Connecticut School of Broadcasting. We have nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. There's no stalling here. You start learning from day one. How to use the camera, learning what you're supposed to be doing on camera, getting into the radio booth, DJing. But the biggest thing for me from CSB, they helped me get my foot in the door in two of the best internships in the city. Nothing about the job gets old. It's, it's The good thing about sports is every night's a little bit different. We've placed thousands of grads for nearly 50 years. Contact us today. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or visit GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has nearby campuses in Stratford, Connecticut, Westbury, Long Island, and Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or visit GoCSB.com. I'm Ron Sulpizi from the MTR Sports Report. Not sure where to eat? Then listen to these reviews. Awesome. Amazing Greek food. Everything is fresh. Great family restaurant in the heart of Ocean City. Katina's is an Ocean City staple. When you've had your fill of pizza, cheesesteaks, and ice cream, head for Katina's. 
Katina's Gyro Restaurant, 501 East 9th Street, Ocean City, New Jersey, 609-399-5525. Check out their website, katinasfoods.com. That's katinasfoods.com. Order their famous Mediterranean dressing, and they'll ship it right to your door. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, Katina's Greek Restaurant. In your face, all over the place. We're online 24-7-24-7. You're listening to the hottest internet station. MTR. Welcome back, John Pielli Passball Show, right here on the MTR Radio Network, brought to you by JohnPielli.com. My next interview I'm going to play is with a former Major League outfielder, played several seasons with the Milwaukee Brewers, and his name is Matt Mieske. And Matt, of course, uh, played with the Brewers from 1993 to 97, the Cubs in 98, the Mariners in 99, the uh, Diamondbacks in 2000, and before that with the Astros in 99 and 2000, made the 1999 postseason roster in the NLDS for the Astros. He was originally drafted by the Padres, but came up very quick, had a lot of success early on in his minor league career. And uh, you know, he talks about a couple different things, some of his experiences in Major League Baseball. So hopefully you guys enjoy this spot with former Major League outfielder Matt Mieske. Good afternoon, this is John Vialli, and I'm happy to be joined by former Major League outfielder Matt Mieske. Matt, thanks for having a couple minutes today. Oh, my pleasure. Hey, Matt, if, if you can, just uh, share, with, share with the audience a little bit about uh, what got you into baseball and kind of playing baseball as a kid. Um, 
Yeah, now uh, the one thing that stands out, of course, is the success you had early on. Now, um, it, it may it may be an easy question. It may not be an easy question. You know, did you have to change much as you moved up through the systems? Like, like you have a lot of success early. Um, you know, you were playing college ball the year before, and you know, by by 1990, you're tearing you're up the you know the Northwest League. Did you see a lot of adjustments that you had to make, or was it was it essentially similar pitching that you saw at the, at the lower professional levels? Well, I think um, playing Division One college baseball against good competition, and always played obviously on the U.S. teams in the summertime two years in a row. Always had good competition we're playing against, so I felt that really prepared me for rookie ball and A ball and minors. And um, you know, it was good competition, but it's what I've been seeing the previous four years. So I think that was an advantage. Um, as I climbed the ladder, the biggest difference was just the mental experience that other players had got to play. And that was an adjustment. But as far as it, um, skill goes, ability, um, you know, I, I felt like that was where I was supposed to be. And it took me a while to catch up a little bit mentally um, as far as the pitchers are trying to do. Once again, John Pielli here with Matt Aski. Now, when you, know, you mentioned a little bit before about getting traded after the 1991 season or in, in spring training of the following year, um, you know, a lot's got to be going through your head at that moment. You had some success for a couple of years. You're starting to get yourself accustomed and maybe thinking about your future in the San Diego system. And all of a sudden, uh, you know, you, it's a change of environment. You're with a different organization. Um, did, did you feel it was a tough adjustment once you were traded to Milwaukee? Uh, I, I feel like Up, uh, making a major league debut with the Brewers in 1993. Um, 
you know, tell us a little bit about that experience because I'm sure it's a good one for you. You finally reach your goal, uh, which you've had, like you said, for many years to make it into the major leagues. Um, was being out on a field everything that you thought it would be once you made it out there? Coming up, and you know, you make your major league debut. Did you feel like there was anybody in particular that was um, an influence in a positive way for you? Let's say uh, somebody that was like a mentor, uh, whether it was a player or a coach. Well, it was kind of something that kind of hindered you in your development at the major league level?
did, did you ever see yourself? And of course, as, as you get older, as you get more experience and been in the game for a while, you become that better presence. Um, did, did you see, uh, let's say, another player as, as, as you go on, as the, the younger player, maybe think about yourself when you were coming up? And, you know, if so, how did you handle that? up with Matt there and obviously the one thing that stands out that he talked about was the fact that he felt uncomfortable and was unfairly treated and kind of almost bullied by some of his teammates with the Milwaukee Brewers and uh, I know people when they want to hear the story they want to get to the meat of it they want the gossip they want the slander part of it and that's that's something that I'm not out here to report and I've said it all along the past ball show is about sharing baseball and its history. And yes, there's some good and some bad that's involved in it. But, you know, I'm not out here to uncover some dirt on somebody. But uh, it definitely has to be noted that there was some unrest in that Milwaukee Brewers clubhouse. Now, uh, all I could do is mention some of the players that were on that team. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pry out of Matt or anybody else exactly who the players are. But that team did have Robin Yount on it. Um, Daryl Hamilton and Greg Vaughn were two outfielders on that team. B.J. Surhoff was on that team. Tom Bernanski, Kevin Seitzer, Bill Doran, uh, Jose Valentin, who was younger at the time. So he wouldn't be considered a veteran. But, uh, you know, you look at some of the veterans that were on that team and you wonder which ones were the ones that... Uh, Matt was referring to. And of course, nobody is in favor of any type of treatment like that. There's the little bit of hazing that goes on. And obviously you saw the stuff that went on with the Miami Dolphins and the incognito Jonathan Martin thing and how that went a little out of control. And, uh, you know, anytime you see something like that happen, it makes you look back and say, hey, are you are you doing things as leaders, as veterans on a team? that are, number one, right intended, because right intended doesn't always necessarily mean you're doing the right thing, but also what kind of impact does it have on the players going forward and the young players as they start to become veterans and the influence that you may have on them going forward. So very interesting to see, but uh, big thanks to Matt, of course, for joining the program, as well as Tippy Martinez and Chris Hammond. This is John Pielli, the Passball Show, right here on the MTR Radio Network. We'll be back with you next week. Rock over London, rock on Chicago. American Airlines, we mean business in Chicago. 